All right, buckle up. We're loaded up today. Write down our toll-free uh, telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. It is 800-941-SEAN if you want to join us. All right, we got the situation unfolding with Iran from earlier today, shooting down an unarmed drone in international waters. We got some deep state news, uh, thanks to Judicial Watch. Another 345 pages of, yes, struck page text and emails, and they're extraordinarily revealing. We got the Biden campaign falling apart right before our eyes, and uh, much, much more as we uh, kick off the program today. We have former Speaker of the House, Duke Gingrich. Oh, we're going to have fun later, too. Gary Woodland. Wow. Did you see him in the U.S. Open? And did you see his love and support and patriotism on display? He partnered with Puma, and he had just just an amazing story. And uh, we'll have some fun with him. Looking forward to uh, that coming up. I want to start with uh, Iran because, look, a lot has happened. I listened very, very closely. As we speak, we just had... At the White House, we had a speaker name only Pelosi. Now, can I clarify one thing, Linda? I guess I have to clarify because the media is so dumb. Don't, don't you think I need to clarify this? Because it was written a hundred times today. Sean Hannity has a conspiracy theory that Nancy Pelosi is not the speaker. He says she's speaker in name only, but she's not really the speaker. That Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the speaker. Linda, can they really be that dumb? I'm just I'm just yes. trying to. Yes, indeed, I can. OK, so when I say speaker and name only, what I'm referring to is the fact that Nancy Pelosi scared to death of Ocasio-Cortez, as apparently are all these 2020 candidates. Now, is it obvious or are they just that dumb that they think that I really believe that Ocasio-Cortez is speaker, but they're just not telling anybody? You know, well, it's, a, it's a tough choice there. I'm not really sure. I, I think that uh, I think there are some people on the left of the fake news media who really just, you know, the light bulb's gone a little dim. And um, <laughs> I think there are some people who just want to make headlines with your name. OK, you know, but you knew what I meant. Everybody, everyone, Kylie, you knew what I meant. Ethan, you, right? J.C. Own, everybody, Stanginator, Sweet yeah, Baby. We all knew. Everybody knew. OK. I wasn't saying Ocasio-Cortez is speaker, you idiots. They're so dumb. Sean Hannity, the president disagreed with his conspiracy theory. I'm like reading this. I'm like, oh, man, you people are so dumb. Uh, but whatever. So anyway, we have this drone taken out. Now, this is on the heels. Remember, let me let me backtrack. We have one huge, massive advantage that we have never had as it relates to energy and which is the lifeblood of our economy. If you go back to the first Gulf War and, you know, Kuwait and, and the hostilities there. And if you go back to that, remember, a lot of this always came down to the free flow of the lifeblood of every economy, oil, at market prices. So that a few crazy regimes that were getting awfully rich because they had a monopoly, even though we have more energy, more oil, more natural gas, more coal, uh, the means by which we would never need a drop of oil ever again, especially from countries that hate us. We've always had the ability. We've always had it. But now we've 
we've discovered even more and are discovering more every day. And with pipelines now, the Dakota pipeline on on track again and the Keystone XL pipeline on track and Anwar finally opened up and, you know, fracking is is transformed energy for this country, clean, burning, natural gas. Uh, I bought a truck once from it was an old Providence gas company truck, a van. I paid 200 bucks for it, the best 200 bucks I ever spent. And it had run, I think, at 75,000 miles on it when I got it. And I kept it for years. Had a little body damage, but I didn't care. Um, It didn't affect anything with the truck, but they switched it back to gas. But, you know, you can run the combustion engine on natural gas. I mean, that's if we want to switch, we can switch. And it's fairly easy to do because this is going back to the early 80s that they did this. Uh, Anyway, so we don't we're not as dependent on this foreign oil. We're now energy independent for the first time in 75 years. That's a big deal. If if not, you know, I'm not sure if the president, what's happened is the president's sanctions on Iran are having a dramatic impact on their economy. Now, I know Biden and Obama would probably just drop another $150 billion in cash and other currencies and say, pretty please like us if we give you more money, pretty, pretty please. Uh, That's never going to work with maniacal, radical, Islamic extremists and mullahs in Iran that chant death to Israel, death to America, and always threaten to wipe Israel off the map. But the Straits of Hormuz, you know, if if you look at the shipping lanes for a lot of the oil, the, the world's oil, you know, the Iranians can cause a lot of trouble. It's not as strategically important now Since Donald Trump's been president. Well, that gives us leverage. That gives us, we don't need to act as fast as we may otherwise act or jump in as fast as we may otherwise jump in. We can be far more strategic. In other words, the president, and I love this part of the president, why are we going to telegraph what we're going to do? Now, the president, of course, in front of the fake news media, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to say, and the president kept saying, you'll see. You'll see. And, you know, it's very important that we get this right. Let me tell you what's most important in all of this. The world is watching. The world is watching here. In other words, Russia is watching because they've created their alliance with the Iranians. And then, you know, Putin weighing in, we better not do anything. China's watching. You know, Kim Jong-un is watching. The world is watching. All of them are watching, and it's important that we understand that what we do, we got to get it and get it right. That's what's important here. So this is what the president said in front of the fake news media and their breathless questioning of the president earlier today. Uh, This drone was in international waters. Clearly, we have it all documented. It's documented scientifically, not just words. And they made a very bad mistake. You'll find out. You'll find out. You'll find out. Obviously, 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 you know, we're not going to be talking too much about it. You're going to find out. They made a very big mistake. And I think probably Iran made a mistake. I would imagine it was a general or somebody that made a mistake in shooting that drone down. 
Unfortunately, that drone was unarmed. It was not, there was no man in it, and there was no, it was just, it was over international waters, clearly over international waters, but we didn't have a man or woman in the drone. We had nobody in the drone. Are you still open? It would have made a big difference, let me tell you. It would have made a big, big difference. But uh, I have a feeling, I may be wrong, and I may be right, but I'm right a lot. I have a feeling that it was a mistake made by somebody that shouldn't have been doing what they did. I think they made a mistake. And I'm not just talking to the country made a mistake. I think that somebody under the command of that country made a big mistake. And you're talking about your own leadership. Let's just see what happens. You just let's see what happens. It's all going to work out. Say it. Are you saying you think it wasn't intentional? I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid that did it. But we'll be able to report back, and you'll understand exactly what happened. But it was a very foolish move. That I can tell you. Now, I'm, I think I know the president. Well, no, the president's very was very clear as a candidate, right? So we got to look at the president's past actions and and promises and the things you know what how has he kept to has he been faithful to his promises is there fidelity to promises and what is the president's position on foreign entanglements in this particular case is something we've got to examine now he gave a list of supreme court justice nominees that he would like to appoint to the u.s supreme court you check check he did that he wanted the biggest tax cut in history check he did that the president wanted to get rid of all of Obamacare, but he had weak Republicans, but he did get rid of the individual mandate, which was a big deal. Check. Uh, the president also wanted energy independence. I probably asked him that question more than anybody else in the media in the lead up to the election, because anyone that has listened to this show for years, drill here, drill now, pay less. You know, that was a campaign and partnering with oil and energy companies to so people can get high paying jobs. Eighty thousand dollars. You get trained to drive a truck. That was important to me. We were we were changing people's lives. And this is just the beginning. If we really, really dig deep into energy uh, independence and more, it's going to be great for raising the standard of living for Americans. Now, what was the president's position on Israel and Jerusalem? Yeah, he did that, too. Then they moved the capital from Tel Aviv and Golan Heights. Yeah, he did that, too. And he promised to get out of the Iranian deal. These sanctions are largely responsible for the Iranians' actions now uh, off their coast. And these two tankers that got hit, that was them. That was the Revolutionary Guard. And now taking out a drone, an American drone in international waters, Uh, The president's very clear that he doesn't want to get into long entanglements. We're less likely to have that happen because we are where we are today. He said, oh, yeah, Iran made a very big mistake shooting down that U.S. drone in international waters over the Straits of Hormuz. And he said, no, I'm not going to stand for that. At the same time, he left open the possibility. He opened a door. He opened the door that said, you better take responsibility, blame somebody, because if you don't stop, they're going to be hit so hard, so fast, and nobody's going to know the moment it's going to happen. That's my prediction. And he said these comments along Canadian, alongside Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau. Find it hard to believe it was intentional. Could have been someone who was loose and stupid, you know, acting on their own. 
Now, does the president really believe that? I don't. My guess is no. But I think the president is giving them an opportunity to think. Because if the weight, the might, the power, the majesty even of the United States military is unleashed the way I think Donald Trump would do it versus the way, say, more conventional or establishment presidents would do it. I think he is going to bomb the living daylights out of them. Now, that's my thinking on it, but he's not going to let you know. And he said this uh, mistake and we're not going to stand for it. And one thing I think, if let's just look at the president's track record. Does he mean what he say? What he says? Yes. Does he fulfill promises? Yes. Does he want long international entanglements in the Middle East? No. Are we less vulnerable in terms of now that we've become energy independent for the first time in 75 years? It's less important to us. But it is an opportunity. And I think the president is more than prepared for it. And how this plays out ultimately is going to be in the mullah's hands. Do they, do they, are they smart enough to take the slight opening Trump is giving them or do they get bombed to smithereens? I don't know. Because I think that's what the options will be. You got to understand why this is all happening. It's the president's sanctions, unlike, you know, dumping 150 billion in cash and other currencies on the on the tarmac for Mullers, uh, for the Mullers of Iran. Um, And the media doesn't like to talk about it, but it's the president's sanctions that have absolutely devastated their economy. There's a website, oilprice.com. Iran's economy contracted. Get this. By 4.9% in the 2018-19 year ended in March, slipping further into recession as diminishing oil exports due to U.S. sanctions are depriving the Islamic Republic of its economic lifeline, which is oil revenues. By the way, we could do the same thing to Putin. Just saying. And according to the International Monetary Fund, Iran's economy is expected to shrink 6% this year. Annual inflation will spike to 37.2%. World Bank report from earlier this month showed that Iran's annual inflation had risen sharply from about 10% in the middle of 2018 to about 52% in April of 2019. And by the way, contributed to the depreciation of Iran's currency. I'm almost ready. We're coming up on a break here. The world sees Iran's gross domestic product dropping by 4.5% this year after an estimated fall of 1.9% in 2018, uh, 2019. And I'm telling you, they made a big mistake. Now, in keeping with the president not wanting to be involved in world entanglements and the fact that we are finally, in the first time in 75 years, energy independent, I don't really care what Iran has to say or what Putin has to say that a war would be catastrophic. You're not going to be able to knock down our drones and get away with it. It's that simple. We'll continue. All right. 25 till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN. Our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. A lot going on. Uh, All right. So we're going to see what happens. This is the president. Uh, I thought it was very clever. uh, You'll see. You'll see. Yeah, but you can't shoot down an American drone. Now, Senator Lindsey Graham said all bets are off. He's right. 
He's reacting the right way. All bets are off. From Iran, that would be a provocative act. They're second now towards the United States and Israel. All bets are off. And put in place military capability to go after the naval forces, their refineries, and I would add to this their nuclear sites. And by the way, that is not an easy military operation. Everybody knows this. The Israelis more than anybody. Now, everybody forgets. We remember in the 80s, there was world condemnation when Israel took out Iraq's nuclear capability. Uh, There was less publicity. It was almost like it was not reported. It was an amazing military operation when the Israelis literally flew below Syria's radar. They got below it. And they were able to take out their sights again. Now, Iran is a country with huge landmass and very difficult terrain. It's not a place you want a ground war, I can tell you that. But it is a place that if you can beat their, their air power, whatever it is they have, assuming Putin's not stupid enough to get involved in this, because guess what? We don't need his energy either. You want to bring Putin to his knees? That's the best way to do it. And but Iran has made a mistake, but it's also opened a door and that opportunity. Iran can never get nuclear weapons ever. We can't allow you cannot marry these weapons of mass destruction with lunatics that think they're doing God's will by destroying Israel and anybody that disagrees with them and believes in a convert or die uh, theocracy. And has been fighting proxy war after proxy war and has been fomenting terror throughout the region and the world and funding these terrorist organizations that has to all come to an end. And the president rightly saying the public will find out about the U.S. response, but he's not going to tell you now was shot down over the Straits of Hormuz unprovoked attack. Central Command confirmed the president has met in the Situation Room with the best, brightest military in the world. And beyond the big mistake, oil prices, by the way, have jumped about 5% after the president said they made a very big mistake. That does not impact us like it once did. That's the beauty of being energy independent. But there's been also, out of fear of Iranian, Iranian hegemony and the threats towards Israel and the threats to the entire region and you know, the battle against the Sunnis and, and, and the proxy war through Yemen and fomenting terror. Well, it's kind of created a situation rather unique where the U.S., the, the Israel, and we need BB on that world stage right now. Israel has got to vote Likud. You can't vote for one of these lesser parties. We can't have another election. He wins and we can't form a government. He's been the the sole Churchillian figure on the world scene with the moral clarity necessary to deal with radical Islamists. It's it's out of survival that he has to do this. Um, we need him, and I will tell you, it's it could be a joint venture because this new alliance against Iranian hegemony includes the U.S., includes Israel. Includes the Saudis. There was a big setback, obviously, on the Khashoggi killing, murder. Uh, but it, but the alliance exists. The Jordanians and the Egyptians. By the way, Mohammed Morsi dropped dead in the middle of a rant as he was brought up on charges. Remember, Morsi was the one that Obama supported. 
former head of the Muslim Brotherhood, before General al-Sisi took back power. He was the one that said the that Jews are descendants of apes and pigs, and the same guy that Obama was given billions of dollars to, it's, and, and more than that. And I, I just, it never made, it never made any sense. And why that was not a big deal, I don't know. <clears throat> All right, so we're following this very, very closely. We're going to monitor. Newt Gingrich is at the top of the hour. We'll get his thoughts on all of this as well. Um, you know, and we've got other controversies emerging as well. You know, Ocasio-Cortez really is comparing. You know, we're doing our best to help all the illegal immigrants that see the walls going up. You know, we're feeding them and we're offering water and food and medicine and cots and blankets and supplies. But Ocasio-Cortez claims, oh, these are concentration camps. Really? Then you've got fake news CNN. Jeff Zucker's got to be so proud of this. What a despicable display that this is what he allows on. You know, you have this guy, Don Lemon, thinks he's a newscaster. He doesn't realize he's a talk show host or opinion maker. We don't hide who we are. We are, yeah, I'm a member of the press. Yes. And we do straight news. We do straight interviews sometimes. We do lots of investigative reporting, the deep state, for over two years now. We vetted Obama when very few others would. We also do conservative opinion. I am a conservative, committed conservative. Conservatism, when we put conservative justices in place, and burdensome regulation, lower the tax rates. Yeah, it creates jobs and opportunities and and creates factories and manufacturing centers for the forgotten men and women that suffered so disproportionately in the Obama-Biden years. Conservatism works. I've not changed my mind. And yeah, we ought to have secure borders. And yeah, internationally, I'm totally in favor of, you know, free and fair trade. Fair trade. And if sometimes that means you, you got to get a little tough with even an ally, then so be it. President stood alone and said to Mexico, you stop the caravans or I'm slapping tariffs on you. And you have weak Republicans. Oh, no, we can't support that. And the president still won. Mexico got the message or NATO. They got the message or Canada and Mexico getting rid of NAFTA. They're getting the message right now. China's getting the message and eventually they'll capitulate. They're going to have to because they don't have a choice. They need these markets. All right. Then we've got a lot of stuff going on as it relates to sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe Biden. Defiant Wednesday, despite criticism over a comment at a fundraiser about a relationship that he had with a former Mississippi senator, James Eastland. Now, this is interesting because Hillary said that the former Klansman, Robert KKK Bird was her mentor. Well, he's a former Klansman. You know, everyone forgets, you know, the it's so amazing. The 64, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act never gets passed by Lyndon Johnson, but for Republicans, because people like Byrd and Al Gore's father were nowhere to be ha- found when history called. It was Republicans that helped Lyndon Johnson pass those bills, not the Democrats that claim that they have a monopoly of compassion for minorities. And by the way, under Biden, Obama, yeah, they did disproportionately impact 
Minority communities, 13 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty. Real Americans, real people, real families, real tragedy because of their insane policies. Keep your doctor, your plan, and pay less. Anyway, so it's gotten, we have the deep state now firing at each other. Now we've got the Democratic candidates all firing at each other. Anyway, so he praised this guy who was a noted seg- uh, segregationist. And then when called out by Cory Booker, he said, apologize for what? Cory Booker ought to apologize for me. How does it feel that uh, your Democratic rivals are implicitly saying that you have issues talking about race? They know better. Are you going to right, apologize thanks, like Cory Booker apologize has called for, for what? Cory Booker has called for it. He's Corey asking you to apologize. apologize. He knows better. There's not a racist bone in my body. I've been involved in civil rights my whole career, period. 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 Well, do you not hear what I hear? That crazy Uncle Joe sounds really tired. And he's getting slammed all over the place. And it looks like he's in trouble. Washington Free Beacon has a piece out today. His advisors are repeatedly warning him not to brag about working with segregationists while speaking at campaign events. Not the first gaff-prone candidate. Can't work at a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. Don't play it. Or... You know, Obama, this is storybook, man. For the first time ever, you got African-American who's clean, articulate. Wow, that's storybook. I'm like, what? Anyway, so this bizarre dynamic exists between Biden and these advisors who seem all too willing to throw their uh, their boss under the bus. Even fake news CNN picked up that Biden advisors have been warning the candidate to not cite James Eastland, the segregationist. Politico spoke to a campaign source who said the issue had become a point of contention, and it's not the first time Biden staffers have confronted him, and he still does it. And he's not going to apologize. He's in trouble. trouble, He says, well, I was in a caucus with James O. Eastland, he said at the Carlisle, and he never called me boy. He always called me son. What? And that comment made... On the eve of, uh, you know, whatever date he did this, the second time that he's been slammed in a month for lack of sensitivity towards understanding what's at stake here. Because in early June, Biden abruptly reversed his position on the Hyde Amendment, just as he went on an apology tour as it relates to Anita Hill. And just like he's flipped and flopped and flailed and, you know, even Ocasio-Cortez got him to adopt the Green New Deal version of his. And she still went after him. If you ignore racism, if you don't address issues of race with racist, then everything is fine, right? Ocasio-Cortez said to the Politico, that's how you work with segregationists? By not confronting their racism, their institutional institutionalization of second-class citizenship, a lack of fully recognizing African-Americans, de Blasio weighed in. By the way, does Biden still believe in the death penalty because his campaign won't say anything on that either? And Booker announced sweeping uh, clemency for stuff. And anyway, so it's become a big deal. A side note, you know, I'm more concerned about the son making money flying on Air Force Two. And he has no background or history with hedge funds, but he makes millions of dollars just weeks after he flew to China with his father. And then the father holding hostage a billion dollars of tax money and says, you got six hours to fire that prosecutor. Oh, the one that's going after his son? 
I guess now, bad news for the presidential campaign, a woman now has filed a paternity suit against Hunter Biden, the son of Joe Biden. Biden's standing by, won't apologize. And then if you look at the history, I mean, Biden now has gone hardcore left. He can't get back. And he said, apologize for what? I I almost think he doesn't get it. That's even worse. And, uh, you know, he's now stonewalling questions about his corrupt business deal of his sons. That means the Ukraine and holding American dollars hostage. But, you know, then we have other issues as it relates to, you know, Biden with race. We lost our bearing since the 1954 Brown v. Board of Education desegregation case, Biden said in a 1975 interview to a paper in Delaware and recently picked up by the Washington Post. To desegregate is different than to integrate. The real problem with busing, is said, is that you take white people who aren't racist, people who are good citizens, who believe in equal education and opportunity, and you stunt their children's intellectual growth by busing them to an inferior school. I don't buy that concept. Popular in the 60s. Uh, we have suppressed the black man for 300 years in order to even the score. We must now give the black man, he says, no reference to a black woman, uh, a head start. Or even hold the white man back. I don't buy that. Biden said that. He didn't just reinforce the efforts of segregationists. He also took a decisive role in fueling opposition to desegregation efforts. And uh, and he did it many times. A lot of this is going to come out where he stood on busing. You know, the impact of desegregation, he argued, was was good for blacks and was what they wanted. I think the concept of busing, that we're going to integrate people, they all have the same access to learn to grow up with one another and all the rest is a rejection, he said, of the whole movement of black pride. Desegregation, he argued, was a rejection of the entire black awareness concept where black is beautiful, black culture should be studied, and the cultural awareness of importance of their own identity, their own individuality. Just don't send your kids to the schools. Biden supported an anti-busing amendment by the former Klansman Robert Byrd. Renounced his racist past and used that term he was on with Tony Snow one day on Fox News Sunday back in the day. 97% of Democrats now say they prefer their presidential candidate to be younger than Biden. Uh-oh, that was in roll call today. And Biden aides, again, warned him not to praise segregationists. And Biden and Booker... They're now at each other's throats over all of this, and it's just going to get worse, and everyone else is jumping in as quickly as they can. Congressional Black Caucus so far standing by Biden. We'll see how long that lasts. All right, we have Newt Gingrich at the top. Oh, yeah, by the way, we have some deep state news. We're going to get into this tonight. 350 more pages, correspondence between Strzok and Page. Got all of this tonight on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. We got a lot to get into today. Uh, this drone was in international waters. Clearly, we have it all documented. It's documented scientifically, not just words. And they made a very bad mistake. How okay. Will you respond? Mr. President, how will you respond? You'll find out. You'll find out. You'll find out. I mean, obviously, 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 you know, we're not going to be talking too much about it. You're going to find out. They made a very big mistake. And I think probably Iran made a mistake. I would imagine it was a general or somebody that made a mistake in shooting that drone down. 
And fortunately, that drone was unarmed. It was not, there was no man in it, and there was no, it was just, it was over international waters, clearly over international waters, but we didn't have a man or woman in the drone. We had nobody in the drone. It would have made a big difference, let me tell you. would have made a big, big difference. But uh, I have a feeling, I may be wrong, and I may be right, but I'm right a lot. I have a feeling that it was a mistake made by somebody that shouldn't have been doing what they did. I think they made a mistake. And I'm not just talking to the country made a mistake. I think that somebody under the command of that country made a big mistake. And you're talking about your own leadership. Let's just see what happens. You just let's see what happens. It's all going to work out. So you're saying you think it wasn't intentional? I don't know. I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was loose and stupid that did it. But we'll be able to report back, and you'll understand exactly what happened. But it was a very foolish move. That I can tell you. All right, that's the president reacting and responding to the drone shot down in international waters. This on the heels of two oil tankers uh, that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has said the Iranian Revolutionary Guard are responsible for taking down as well. Uh, Iran made a very big mistake, the president said. Time, you will see. Which, you know... I don't know why people don't listen to Donald Trump because he's very transparent and he's been very clear that, and I agree with him, that we ought not be telegraphing anything about any military action to anybody. It ought, we know that there is a situation room meeting going on even as we speak, and we know that the best, the brightest, smartest military minds in the world will make the right decision. And it's going to be interesting to see as the Iranians now, the sanctions that the president has put on Iran has literally brought their economy now to its knees. And nobody is dependent as uh, we once all were on the oil coming out of the Straits of Hormuz and being energy independent for the first time in 75 years uh, has put us in a much stronger position to deal with Iran or anybody else in the Middle East. Anyway, hour two, Sean Hannity show. Joining us now, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Uh, Mr. Speaker, good to speak with you again. By the way, you were on Hannity last night before we went to the president, and the president's on the line. He said, no, I want to hear what Newt has to say. Let Newt finish. <laughs> I thought that was wild. You, know, yeah. you had two great nights in a row. Between 5 million people tuning into your show on Tuesday night for the kickoff and then having the president himself call in last night, uh, you're not going to get many back-to-back. Yeah, early indicators over 4 million, and CNN can't break a million a single hour of their day most days. Uh, but, you know, who's—and by the way, they earn the distrust that, the, that people have. Um How do you interpret the president's comments? I interpret it very simply as— I have not decided, and I'm not going to tell you, and I'm not going to telegraph. Yeah, I, I probably would say I don't know whether he's decided or not. I, I do agree that even if he has decided, uh, he is better off to um, not say anything that triggers what we're going to do. I mean, you know, our opponents should always be worried about what we might do. And I think that's a... That's a key thing to think about. Uh, we don't need to tell them in advance. Uh, sometimes they can learn when the bomb arrives. 
I also think, though, and I've noticed this on several occasions, including the Koreans and the North Koreans firing a short-range missile, uh, that the, there really has been an effort on the part of the president to avoid um, escalating things. It, it, it's almost as though he is trying very hard to, to let things solve themselves. Uh, and and uh, I suspect that he's also trying to give the Ayatollah an, an opportunity here to... Uh, to say, fix oh, it you know, fast. Some, some yeah. junior person did this. It wasn't me. Now, the, the problem for the Iranians is there is going to come a moment when the president is going to, uh, I think, uh, hammer them very, very hard. And uh, I think that, that if they keep pushing, uh, they'll be making a huge mistake. And certainly Secretary Pompeo has been quite clear about this. So I, I don't think that they're in any way out of the woods. And as you, you correctly pointed out, uh, the sanctions have really begun to bite, and people need to remember, when you talk about the Straits of Hormuz, we have no immediate vested interest. India, China, and Japan have an enormous interest. Europe has a secondary interest. So the combination of the three, I mean, those are places where you're going to see people who are really, really worried. And I think part of what the United States is trying to do is to get them to kind of step up and agree that we'll internationally police the waters, not just have the Americans do it. You know, but the thing is, um, I, I have really thought long and hard um, and often about, I would like to see the next generation of American technology and military might evolve as quickly as possible. Now, I know that was a part of the president's agenda, and I remember the president said, I'd never do this deal, except I need what was, what, close to $800 billion or uh, in monies for the Defense Department, which had been depleted in the Biden-Obama years for the very purpose of building the next generation of weaponry. And I'll tell you why, sir, because you look at Vietnam. We lost 58,000 people there, our, our national treasure, our men, our, our children. And between Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, nearly another 10,000 and so many others disfigured and losing legs and limbs and, and facing difficulties now for the rest of their lives. I never liked the idea we didn't even have in the beginning of the Iraq conflict up armored Humvees. I didn't like that American treasure, our men and women were knocking on doors, one door after another door, and all the IEDs were set up for them. And I don't like the fact that in both cases, the wars became politicized in Washington. And immediately when that happens, uh, then the idea of winning the war goes out the window and you're all talking about an exit strategy without victory. And so I think that I would like to see the future of American might and wars be fought, let's just say, from Tampa to pick a random city, if I might. If I might. Well, look, let me say, first of all, I, I want to really praise you for a second, because you put your finger on the real deal, which is the treasure we lose in these wars uh, is our young men and women. It's not our money. Money's replaceable, but those young men and women are not replaceable, and they are the very heart of who we are as a country. And we've always had a pattern of investing in technology to save lives. And I think that the president has been exactly right. Uh, I mean, the, the turnaround from the Obama years of weakness to the Trump years of strength has been enormous. And well, part of that has been a willingness, much like Ronald Reagan, to put rebuilding the American military very, very high on his agenda. One of the things that has happened in the Trump years, and I've often said this, that prior to Donald Trump being on 
the world stage that really there was one voice, lone voice of moral clarity in the world and a Churchillian figure in his own right out of sheer necessity, and that's Prime Minister Netanyahu, and it was a shame he didn't form the the government. I'm pretty certain he'll win again, and he will get that government formed. I'm, I hope so. But as a result of fear of the ambitions of these mullahs in Iran for nuclear weapons, coupled with their desire to wipe Israel off the map and and chant death to Israel and death to America and wipe America off the map, that there is a new alliance that has formed that might have been unprecedented even three years ago between the United States, Israel, the Egyptians, the Jordanians, the Saudis, the Emirates, against Iranian hegemony. Now, to me, the fact that they're sharing more intelligence and getting along better behind the scenes than ever before, well, that raises the prospects of a, a real long peace possibility in the Middle East, but for Iran now being supported by Putin. Oh, I think that's right. And I think that the uh, we need to recognize there's a very real possibility that we're going to see, I think, in the near future, uh, much more tight relationship between um, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. And then that may well be the basis of a real peace agreement, uh, having nothing to do with direct negotiations with the um, Palestinians, but everything to do with a profound underlying change uh, between the Sunni Arab states uh, and their fear, their very deep fear of the Iranians. Where do you think... You know, look, the Straits of Hormuz don't have the the importance they once had. Now, it's certainly an important shipping lane for the lifeblood of every economy, which makes this idiotic new green deal even more insane. Oil and gas is the lifeblood of every economy. The idea that we're going to get rid of using oil and gas in 10 years is not only a fantasy, it would be the destruction of the U.S. economy. That simple. But more importantly, it does give us more leverage. It does give us more of an opportunity to be strategic rather than reactive in terms of how we deal with conflicts in the Middle East. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, no, there's no question that our ability to be energy independent, our ability to, to continue to build on uh, the breakthroughs of fracking, uh, give us enormous leverage both with the Russians, uh, with Venezuela, and in the Middle East. Uh, and I think it has been just, you know, and I think Trump himself has said this and others have said, when you look at what you would have expected to happen with the price of oil and you realize how little impact the Iranians have had, that's really a tribute to uh, Texas and to uh, North Dakota and to what's been happening all across America in the natural gas fields. Uh, as you look at this slate of 2020 candidates, well, we have a lot of trouble going on now for crazy Uncle Joe Biden. Um, very defiant, despite criticism from many in his own party, as they now have turned on each other, as the deep state has turned on each other as well. And he talked about at a fundraiser his relationship with James Eastland, a Mississippi senator, noted segregationist. And Cory Booker said, apologize. And Biden said, apologize for what? Booker should apologize to me. Now, you do have this very odd, strange history as it relates to crazy Joe Biden. Uh, for example, uh, Biden didn't support integration on the issue of busing at the time. Uh, Biden had made a lot of comments uh, as such, made a lot of comments about uh, some other issues involving 
race that are now coming back apparently to haunt him. But he embraced himself segregation in 1975, claiming it was a matter of, quote, black pride. Those are his words, not mine. Uh, is this going to be a big problem for Uncle Joe, the, uh, the so-called frontrunner? Look, I, I think it's a problem in a lot of ways. First of all, you have uh, left-wing Democrats saying, we'd rather you lie than tell the truth. I mean, I, I think Biden was trying to make a point about having human relations, even with people you disagree with. And he learned the hard way that that's, that's inappropriate. It's a little bit like, you know, you can't discuss Thomas Jefferson because he held slaves. Uh, and so they're coming back. And by the way, I do want to point out to our audience, uh, all these segregationists were Democrats. Uh, and let, let's let's remember who we're talking about here. And and for those people who want to say, oh, you can't have those kind of relationships, the Democratic Senate majority leader for years was Senator Byrd of West Virginia, who had been an active member of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, Hil- now, by the way, Kennedy, Hillary Clinton's mentor. Right. And, and, and Hillary, I mean, Teddy Kennedy had a fine relationship with a, with a Ku Klux Klansman. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly where uh, Cory Booker wants to carry this, this whole uh, story, but it tells you a lot about the modern left. They would rather have Biden lie than tell the truth as long as the lie was politically correct. And I think that's the real underlying story. And I, I did a, a Facebook Live last night about this because I, I thought the contrast between um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez right. who, who, who absolutely said things that were totally false, that were anti-American, about concentration camps on the border. But that was okay because her heart is pure and she's liberal. And Biden, who was telling the truth, but that was bad because he apparently is impure and therefore not acceptable. It's over. That's the bottom line. Uh, we got to run, though. We're up on a hard break here. Uh, Mr. Speaker, thank you for being with us. New Kingrich, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. More on the Iranian situation. As the president said, they have made a very big mistake. Uh, he is not telegraphing where he's going with this, but I would expect that the president is taking it seriously. We'll see what happens. Uh, oh, when we come back... Uh, We'll talk more about this. We have our News Roundup Information Overload Hour and much more coming up. Sean Hannity Show. All right, 25 now until the top of the hour. Toll free. Telephone numbers 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. And earlier, the White House briefing on Iran took place. And you had uh, Kevin McCarthy. You got uh, Speaker and name only Pelosi. And then, of course, McConnell and Chucky Schumer. By the way, Linda, did you notice that because I said speaker name only, and Ocasio Cortez is the real speaker. You know, you know how the liberal media is writing that. John Hannity is a conspiracy theory that Ocasio Cortez is the real speaker. Are these people really that stupid? Yes, in the media? they are. Okay, that is called hyperbole. I'm making a point. Should we put the definition of hyperbole on Hannity.com for these folks? <laughs> well, maybe as for a the, public service announcement. For the, maybe for the fake news media, it's like Sean Hannity is divi- asked the president last night about his conspiracy theory that Nancy Pelosi is not the real speaker, and I'm like, okay, you people are even dumber than I thought. But putting that all aside, that is they're pretty- upset that you caught on. Well, listen, I, they, they hate the ratings we get every night. I understand it, thanks to the best audience in TV and radio. But it, more importantly, they lied. They, they, they're they the ones pushing conspiracy theories. They're the ones that have been pushing a hoax. Uh, and they have missed the biggest abuse of power, corruption, scandal in the history of the country. 
Now, a lot of stories that we are covering today, not the least of which is the witch hunt. Devin Nunes actually said pervy Democrats were grilling Hope Hicks about her love life. And then apparently some of the Democrats wanted pictures with Hope Hicks so that they can post them online. What is wrong with these people? They sound like creepy Uncle Joe. And so we're following that. The situation, obviously, in Iran, we're following very, very closely. And the president is not going to telegraph ahead of time where he's going, nor should he. Uh, but we'll follow that very, very closely. Tom McClintock out of California gave a remarkable speech about Democrats and their desperate scavenger hunt, as he was calling it. This is now we've had four investigations into so-called Trump-Russia collusion. All four of them, the nine-month FBI investigation. Let me quote Peter Strzok. There's no there there. Let's quote Lisa Page. At the end of nine months, we had nothing. Then we had the House Intel investigation. Nothing. Then the bipartisan Senate investigation. Nothing. And then, of course, the Mueller report. That was supposed, that was it. It was going to be the end of the Trump presidency. Nothing. And, of course, you have the selective moral outrage of the Democrats because there really was Russian influence. Devin Nunes had warned about it in an article in 2014. Nobody paid attention to him and the Biden-Obama administration. This all happened on their watch. And it came from, oh, Hillary Clinton, who funneled money through a law firm to an op research firm to a foreign national and all we got back were Russian lies that he himself says he has no idea are true or false at all. I don't know. I don't, th- I don't know if any of it's true. And when you read it, it sounds so dumb you can't even make it up. But it became the basis to spy on the Trump campaign and then the Trump transition team and then the president of the United States. And then got turned into a two-year witch hunt and a hoax. But in the, in the process, they ignored the Russian lies by the way, that were disseminated by high-ranking intelligence people to the American people vis-a-vis the Washington Post, David Korn, Isakoff, and others. They were leaking the contents of that dirty Russian dossier. And, of course, Hillary should have been out of the race a long time ago because they had rigged the investigation after she vo- committed many felonies violating the Espionage Act, 18 U.S.C. 793, and then, of course, subpoenaed emails deleted and bleach bit and taking hammers to devices and pulling SIM cards. Yeah, we're not paying attention to that either. You know, if you had a bad loan application like Michael Cohn or taxi medallions like Michael Cohn or loan applications or tax issues like Paul Manafort, forget it. You're going to get Rikers. You're going to get jail time. You're going to get, you know, double jeopardy. You're going to be charged for the same crime twice, even after you're convicted on a federal level. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Then we're going to set up a 33-year veteran by the name of Lieutenant General Flynn and brag about it. No, you don't need a lawyer. The deputy FBI director told General Flynn on day four of the Trump administration. No, not at all. But they're sending in FBI agents and Comey is saying, oh, yeah, I was taking full advantage of the chaos. I never would have. I'd never think to do this in the Bush years or the Obama years. So you're admitting that you set up after you told a 33 year American hero that served his country in combat. That uh, not to have a lawyer, but you know you're setting him up and you know you already knew the contents because you had illegally surveilled, unmasked raw intelligence on on General Flynn. That in and of itself a crime. That's not the country we know. Joining us now is California Congressman from the 4th District House Judiciary Committee. He's on the House Judiciary Committee and uh, spoke on the House floor 
about Democrats and this effort to pursue Mueller. Uh, Tom McClintock is with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing just fine, Sean. You know, I find this fascinating now. The president calls it they want to redo, and Hope Hicks, I think, rightfully didn't answer their questions again. And I don't think anybody should answer their questions again, because, you know, when the president fully cooperated, he encouraged everybody to go to every congressional committee, tell them anything that they know. He even gave his own White House counsel 30 hours before Mueller. Everybody in the White House that Mueller wanted to talk to, he talked to. 1.4 million documents. All these people subpoenaed, all these lawyers hired. And now they want to basically draw everybody back in because... Four investigations aren't enough. Now we need a fifth investigation. Uh, I think that's abuse of power, and I think that's uh, executive branch harassment at this point. This is not oversight. I think it's just getting silly. No, they've asked these questions over and over and over again. The problem is they just don't like the answers they keep getting back. So they're they're desperately gleaning anything they can out of the Mueller report to, to try to revive their collusion narrative, and, it, and it's just not working for them. And as you've pointed out, the John Dean show was an embarrassment. It clearly backfired on them. Oh, the Hope Hicks hearing yesterday behind closed doors was mainly having her read portions of the Mueller report and then explain that she can't comment on discussions that involve executive privilege, which, by the way, is a doctrine that goes back to the Washington administration. And, you know, then today's hearing consisted of inviting uh, assorted leftists and never-Trumpers to, to agree with the Democrats that Trump's just an awful person they can't believe got elected. You know, and then you look at the record, and the president, I thought, laid it out very articulately in Orlando the other night and last night on my TV show, Hannity. Uh, you know, we've had all of this economic success. Uh, we saw the incident that happened with the Iranians today, taking out a drone of ours in international waters. That follows up on the, the Straits of Hormuz, where two tankers were taken out by the Revolutionary Guard of Iran. And uh, now the escalation and the saber rattling is going on. But I love the president when he says, well, just watch. We'll see. And because I don't think I think too often we telegraph what we're going to do. I don't think we should ever telegraph what we're going to do. Well, the, the president clearly has the uh, authority uh, once an attack has been launched on, on United States Armed Forces, and this clearly qualifies, uh, he can order a, a, a commitment of military force to repel the attack or order a hot pursuit of the attackers or even launch a, a retaliatory response. I mean, obviously, anything beyond that requires an act of Congress. But I, I, I don't want to see a war against Iran if we can avoid it. No, the president doesn't either. And the fact is the president's sanctions are working. There is a huge huge freedom movement inside Iran. In fact, there's a big rally here in Washington by them tomorrow. Several times over the past decade, the, the regime was on the verge of collapse, only to be rescued by the Obama administration. But with Trump, the days of sending hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, shrink-wrapped on cargo pallets to the mullahs are over. The sanctions he has reimposed are working. The regime is teetering on another revolution. We just have to keep up the pressure. Well, I think you're right. The the financial they're in financial you know difficulties. The their their lifeblood of their economy, like you know the hostile regime in Russia under a hostile actor Putin, is all energy. And the fact that America now this is a game changer that we're energy independent now for the first time in seventy five years. It's a game changer that we are a net exporter of energy. 
And I'd like to see us take it to the next level because of the vastness of the resources that we've always had. But because of burdensome regulation by the left, we've not been able to tap into. Until the Trump administration unleashed American energy potential. And as you point out, for the first time in our lifetimes, our nation's energy independent. You remember what it was like in the 1970s uh, uh, when we were completely at the mercy of uh, of Saudi Arabia and the oil exporting countries. There were mile-long lines at gas stations. We, you know, every time OPEC met, we were all on the knife's edge, wondering what's going to happen to our economy next. All of those days are gone now with American energy independence, and that is thanks entirely to fracking technology and the uh, Trump administration's pro-growth policies. Well, the problem is if the likes of uh, all of these Democratic wannabe presidents and I call her Speaker of the House, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Pelosi's Speaker, a name only. By the way, it's not a conspiracy theory. It is a little bit of a joke with some truth in it. Uh, And that is that Ocasio-Cortez is very powerful because she even got, you know, sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe to have to adopt this new Green Deal insanity of his own which would get rid of oil and gas and the combustion engine and eventually planes and cows and everything in life is free and government provided and Medicare for all, but you can't have your own private insurance. Good luck with that. And free retirement guaranteed, free job guaranteed, whether you're willing or unwilling to work. It's a pretty good deal on paper, but in reality, nobody could ever pay for that. Well, clearly, Ocasio-Cortez and the extreme left are now the center of gravity in the Democratic uh, conference, and for that matter, in the Democratic Party. They are pulling them farther and farther to the left. And, and meanwhile, uh, uh, you know, I think they're suffering from, from what the Air Force calls target fixation. That's, that's when a, a pilot focuses so much on the target that he ends up flying his plane into a mountain. And I think that's where the Democrats may be heading in, 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 as we approach 2020. I mean, a lot of the candidates who are in Trump districts ran as self-described problem solvers, and instead people are seeing they're not problem solvers at all. They're they're uh, enabling the troublemakers, and I think that it's those Democrats in those uh, marginal districts that are about to be held accountable by people, they're just getting a belly full of all of this Trump derangement syndrome. All right, quick break. We'll come back more with uh, California Congressman Tom McClintock. As we continue with California Congressman Tom McClintock, you you had a shift of 43 Republican seats in the midterms. Now, everybody forgets that, you know, we had Barack Obama's first midterm. He lost 69 between House and Senate seats, 63 House seats, six Senate seats. Uh, Then you had the case of Bill Clinton. It was a disaster. He lost eight Senate seats and 52 House seats. And the president lost, I guess, around 40 seats in the House, but gained seats in the Senate. Um, So he had a far less disastrous first midterm than all these other recent presidents. Nobody seems to want to tell that truth on TV. But you see that, that we've gone from the worst economy, the worst recovery since the 40s, the lowest labor participation rate since the 70s. You know, 13 million Americans added to food stamps and 8 million added to the poverty rolls. And now we've got record low unemployment for every demographic group that the Democrats say they 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 claim that they're helping, which their policies don't help. Uh, And that is African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans. And 
women in the workplace and youth unemployment. Uh, so and, and, I would say that these policies are working. Conservatism, again, when practice works. And the nice thing about the economy is you can't fake it. People know in their own lives how they're doing, and across the country you're, you're seeing this is morning again in America, and people are feeling it. And meanwhile, they're looking at the other problems confronting the country, like our collapsing borders, and realizing that, that those uh, issues are being ignored by the House Democrats while they indulge in their their recreational outrage over all things Trump. And if I were the Democrats, there'd be another thing I'd be really concerned about. As you pointed out, the other shoe's about to drop. So while they're fixated on impeachment and Trump, there, there are three major investigations nearing, nearing public exposure. Oh, no, there's more than the three. Democrats, how, I hate, how to, I hate to interrupt, but you got Durham, you got the AG himself, you got Horowitz, and you've got, of course, Uber, and and then, of course, we get this treasure trove of uh, information that the president declassified but handed over to the attorney general. Yeah, and 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 what we're if if, if what we're starting to hear comes out in detail, and that this was a deliberate hoax, it was developed and pursued by the most of uh, the highest-ranking officials in justice and our intelligence agencies using the most terrifying powers we entrust to, to our government uh, to interfere with our election and then to undermine the constitutionally elected president of the United States, that could end up being the biggest game-changer in American politics. All right, Tom McClintock, California congressman. I don't know how you live with the 13.5% income tax and all the poverty all around L.A. and San Francisco and Gavin Newsom. Good luck to you out there. And if you have a few pennies in your pocket after your yearly expenses, God bless you. That seems like a, a miracle for anybody out there. Just, just don't let the left do to the rest of the country what they've done to California. Well said. And if you're going to move from California, don't bring your stupid policies that destroyed your state with you. Uh, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. We'll continue. It turned into a lock-her-up chant tonight. Sure. And that's a reflection of Donald Trump's followers, just as we hold the president accountable. We should hold his followers who make those chants accountable as well. It was a very dark speech, though. It was almost like the live-action version of American Carnage, his inauguration address. It didn't feel like a celebration of America being great again. It is grievance palooza. This is everyone, everyone there is, is, there's not this affirmative feeling about the greatness of our country or some vision for the future. There were a lot of people there, classic Florida. There's a little bit of a, a smattering of QAnon. There were people wearing their formal flip-flops and their, and their dress cargo pants. No disrespect to the king of rock and roll, oh. but this is Elvis in 77. Yeah. Uh. Just kind of lumbering across the stage, Ooh. sweating. Oh, okay, I really want commentary from uh, Liberal Joe and Mika um, and the Liberal Joe show. Right, it stops. It is a whatever you want to call it, House. I mean, it's conspiracy TV. That's basically all it is. All right, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of this extravaganza, uh, News Roundup Information Overload Hour, we have John Jonathan Gillum, former FBI agent, air marshal, author of Sheep No More, Danielle McLaughlin, attorney, constitutional liberal and a friend of the program. How are you, Danielle? Are you doing well? Thank you for being with us. <laughs> hi, Sean. Hi, Jonathan. Because hi, Linda, if I don't team, say I'm it, great. you're going to go. You, this is her <laughs> way of disarming Jonathan and myself by coming on the program and being, hi, hey guys, it's so good nice. to see you after I ask a really hard <laughs> question that she wants to avoid or spend a little extra time thinking oh, about. No. Bring it on. Bring it on. Well, I, I'm, I think I'm bringing everything on, but you know, <laughs> 
you look at the fake news industry. Now, Danielle, you're going to admit that they've been wrong. We've had four separate investigations. There's no conspiracy. There was no collusion with Russia, with Donald Trump and his campaign. There was no obstruction of justice by Donald Trump. Speak. He could have fired Mueller, as he told me last night. Constitutionally, under Article 2, he could have removed him for conflicts, and he would have been replaced with somebody else. He chose not to do it. Uh, he did complain openly about it, but complaining, you know, how does an innocent person act? Trey Gowdy asked that question. I think an innocent person shouts their innocence. I don't think an innocent person stands back quietly and hopes that everything goes away. And the president, rightly, because now four separate times he's been proven innocent uh, and was not part of any effort to collude. But Hillary Clinton, well, she did use Russia disinformation she paid for. Why did Mueller not investigate that? Well, that wasn't part of Mueller's remit, first and foremost, and Hillary Clinton's Whoa, whoa, whoa slow uh, down. M- Mueller's FBI. mandate was wide and broad, and it had to do with all things Russia collusion, Russia interference, 2016 election. And if he had time to investigate taxi medallions, loan applications, taxes going back to the 80s and 90s, You're telling me that a phony Russian dossier bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton that was used as the uh, the, full of Russian lies used as the basis for Pfizer applications and Pfizer fraud and also disseminated to the American people by intelligence operatives to The Washington Post and, and Clinton hacks like David Korn. You're saying that that has no room in Mueller's investigation because that doesn't sound reasonable to me. Well, they, they, um, they investigated Cohen, I think, at part to understand whether he was a reliable witness. That clearly there were huge numbers of pro- huge, huge amounts of problematic behaviour in his past, as you say, the taxi medallions, uh, the bank fraud, and various other things. I do suspect that Mueller looked into the basis, uh, you know, the, the the Steele dossier. But at the end of the day, Steele was a British vendor working for a law firm who worked for the DNC and the Democrats, and also anything that was the Steele dossier didn't actually come out until after the election. So the dossier itself had no impact on people's views of Donald Trump because nobody knew about it when they went to the polls. Jonathan. You know, first, I just want to tell Danielle that uh, I do appreciate her demeanor when she comes on here as compared to MSNBC, you know, the way they demean the president and they don't make any good points. It's always just demean, demean, demean. What I hope with Danielle is that she doesn't, uh, hold it all back, and then eventually look like Marsha Clark at the end of the O.J. Simpson trial where she's about to explode. <laughs> you know, I, when, I don't have a bad term either, we, so just so the we, listeners uh, understand. When we discuss this stuff, and we discuss this stuff weekly, it's phenomenal to me how this it's, we're still spinning in this stuff, the way that the truth is all out there. Uh, just like, you know, uh, last night I talked to uh, some of the guys from Sirius that were down at the uh, at the uh, rally that President Trump had, and they said that the news, the local news, was reporting uh, that it was almost a full crowd, and they had filmed earlier before the whole crowd got there. And they said they had never seen a rally like this ever, that it was so packed and so full. And that's exactly the same way that Mueller and all the rest of these people work, is that they, they present an image uh, that they can create, they can use the media as an echo chamber to do that. And again, it's it's all lies or it's all mistruths 
that are fabricated and then given weight through media. Danielle? You know, I, I'm never going to acknowledge that Mueller is is somehow not a, not a patriot. This is somebody who served our country with incredible honour and who put out a report and then said very clearly he wasn't going to talk about it ever again. This is not somebody who's out there in the media trying to get famous, trying to get in with the Democrats. Um, and I, I really do think that somebody who has served this country, and there are numerous examples in his history, he's unimpeachable, and I, I don't think it's fair to go after him. Um, I also oh, wait a minute. Why did Mueller hire? Problem. Why did Mueller? Why couldn't he find one Republican? Why would you hire? You're an attorney. Why, if you're investigating one candidate, why would you hire the lawyer of another presidential candidate? Jeannie Ray once represented the Clinton Foundation. And why would you hire your pit bull, a guy by the name of Andrew Weissman, as Sidney Powell points out, uh, has been prone to use uh, or not use exculpatory evidence, overturn 9-0 in the Supreme Court, tens of thousands of jobs lost at, in, in, in the accounting issues, at Enron Accounting, and then we had four Merrill executives put in jail for a year. That was overturned by the Fifth Circuit, and you're telling, and then struck and page on top of it, and now we're hearing that it wasn't Mueller that got rid of Struck and Page, but he did have time to clean their phones and send them back to the manufacturer to get them cleaned. Now you're telling well, me. Thanks. My Here's my view. I agree that what, what Strzok and Page said over text messages was not appropriate to FBI agents who were investigating the president. But the way you put it, nobody who works on anything related to government can ever have a view about anything political. These people are free. They have a freedom of speech right, actually, to make donations to political parties. Maybe some of them are Democrats, but it's not a reason to suspect or, or accuse them of somehow being corrupt. And by the way, that report came out, the, and, and basically, Mueller should be President Trump's best friend because he did not have any finding of collusion. He did not have any finding of obstruction. He would not make that decision. He passed it to Congress. We disagree over whether the Attorney General should have made that determination. But the, the end of this result and this huge investigation is that the president is actually no longer under a, crowd, under a cloud. And so I think, frankly, the president should be thrilled that Robert Mueller didn't take advantage of the process, didn't try and make himself famous, and actually came to findings that I think are borne out by the facts in the law. Well, I, I, John, I, go ahead, Jonathan. I, I, don't, I don't think that you can say that Mueller didn't. It's that he couldn't because there was nothing there. But i got to ask you, Danielle, if, mm -hmm. if you're an attorney and you do 20 years of service as an attorney, uh, flawless service, ethical service, and then you go out and you lie in court and you're caught, you're going to be considered uh, at that point in time, in time and space, you are a corrupt attorney. And Robert Mueller, well, yeah, you would be what his yeah, you would be despised. You would be despised, you know, if you're, if you're and making, yeah, sure. And regardless of what, you know, Mueller's past history is, I look at the same thing when I looked at John McCain, past history is something that we give honor you know, for, and we say thank you for that service. But it doesn't mean that the person is automatically going to be honorable now. And what Mueller did in the way that he ran that uh, total investigation was, from an investigator standpoint, completely skewed with people from the left and not set up for a clear and open and unbiased investigation from the very start. Even when you don't uh, count the manufactured evidence in the echo chamber in the media, 
you have to look at who he set up to do the investigation. It was not an unbiased group of people. It was a very biased group of people, some of whom were actually involved in the creation of that dossier. And so when you look at his service now, it's tainted, period. You know, I, I don't agree. I, I have no reason, I have no facts to understand or believe that the lawyers and FBI agents and analysts, I think there were, there were hundreds of people, right, from across government uh, who worked on this. And the idea that they're all somehow corrupt, but it, do, it just doesn't make thousand, any sense. Let me, do, let me say this. There could be a thousand investigators, but it doesn't matter if the people who are running the investigation are corrupt. It doesn't matter. Right, and I don't, I don't agree that just because you have a political persuasion or a political belief that you're corrupt. I don't, I, I don't buy it. I, I believe these people did their job. And, and when you put politics into investigation, it's corrupted. You're never going to find an, a person who doesn't have a political view. Where are you going to find lawyers or FBI agents who haven't voted? Are you saying he couldn't find one Republican donor? Really? Not one? What about the appearance of impropriety? What about the appearance of corruption? How do you how, how I, do you yeah, justify do, taxi yeah, medallion investigations and loan applications, but not a dirty Russian dossier that whose own well, author whose own author says he can't verify it, but then it's used to spy on Trump and on foreign soil. We have other spies, including blonde bombshells, brought in. By, and to go after Sam Clovis and Papadopoulos and Carter Page and really? I mean, none of this sounds uh, extraordinary to you, worthy of, of the investigation into Russian interference that, by the way, Devin Nunes warned about in 2014 and Biden-Obama never listened to? So a couple of things. The AUSA in um, Connecticut, so the, the U.S. attorney, excuse me, in Connecticut, is investigating the investigators. We have the OIG, Mr. Horowitz, who is investigating. Well, what, what about the, the media that's lied to us for two and a half years? What about the media that has breathlessly, hysterically reported lie after lie, anonymous source after anonymous source, suggesting that Trump was guilty of even treason, as Brennan says? And now we discover, in fact, that no, that never happened. But the only person that used Russian lies in the campaign to spy on the other campaign was Hillary Clinton, who we also know violated the Espionage Act. And we also know if we care about obstruction, yet when she had subpoenaed emails, you're you're a lawyer, Danielle. If if I have 33,000 subpoenaed emails and I delete them and I clean my hard drive with something called bleach pip, nobody ever heard of it before. And then I take uh, I have a I have Linda go out with a hammer and bust up all my devices and remove my SIM cards. Would (laughs) Would you say that I'm guilty of uh, obstruction with the intent to destroy the evidence of an underlying crime? Well, here's the difference. Uh, Answer my question. I don't want the difference. No, I'm going to tell you. I'm answering. Hillary Clinton was interviewed by the FBI, and they did not determine that she intended for those those documents (laughs) to be destroyed. And that is the difference. Intent matters. The worst that would happen when you destroy documents in a court case, if you don't do it intentionally, there is an adverse uh, finding against you, which basically means that probab- the, the jury is told there's probably bad stuff in there, and you get that kind of on your, uh, you have that uh, disadvantage. The, the jury is told that the documents are gone, but you can assume that they were bad for you. If you don't have intent, and she, she showed up for an interview with the FBI. If you don't Excuse have intent, me, then it's she not showed a- up with two <laughs> other people. 
That never happens. And by the way, yeah. they had already written her exoneration months earlier. So I'm not buying that that was a real investigation. And even Struck and Page laughed about it being a phony investigation. And that Loretta Lynch, they say, had the fix in from the get go. Let me let me just say this when it comes to and Danielle knows this. If she was going to go to court and representing a client and about you? the judge and the, the judge and the prosecution and uh, everybody on the prosecutor side were close confidants and they were able to, to extremely pick people who had their ideology, you would be looking at this and asking for the trial to be set somewhere else because and under another judge and another prosecutor because that's an unfair court. And it's the same thing here. When people are handpicked by Mueller because of their political ideologies, then they take people in and they interview them with multiple people who are also uh, going to be subpoenaed and interviewed. It makes no sense. Right. It's huge. I have to give uh, I have to give Jonathan the last word, and I know that upsets Danielle. We usually give her the last word, but anyway. Thank you both for being with us. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza? Oh, Gary Woodland. I love this guy. He won the U.S. Open. Coming up next. Uh, the best players, they take it to another level mentally, whether they're the most visual or the most positive in their thoughts. But Gary Woodland today, he really, for the most part, only saw what he wanted to have happen. There's his good friends behind the green. Waiting for Gary Woodland to try to finish this off. Got it! Major champion Gary Woodland has won the U.S. Open. Uh, a friend of ours, Major Dan Rooney, who yep. started it, knew that you were going to make that putt, <laughs> even though it was like 30 or 40 feet, because it would have uh, wound you up 13 under par, yeah. because 13 is very important. It, it's special. Obviously, um, Major Dan's been a huge influence in my life, and you know, I, he's got me to understand that freedom isn't free, and there's men and women that sacrifice and do so much for us so I can go out and play a game of golf and live my life under freedom. And he's understood that. He's helped me understand that. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to wear Patriot um, colors with Puma. We partnered with Volition and Folds of Honor to give back to the men and women that sacrifice so much for us. You know, these are such great organizations that you just heard Gary Woodland mention. And he is the 2019 winner, the U.S. Open. You know, I, I, I was always, I thought, a good athlete. I played Hockey, ice hockey, roller hockey. We played basketball, baseball. I was a pitcher. Every sport imaginable. The only game I cannot play good at all is golf. Well, number one, I don't have enough time to get good at golf, and you need the time to be put in at it. Uh, he's one of the longest hitters at 70%. He averages about 315-yard drives. And more importantly, the background and the story of Gary Woodland is even more impressive. And, you know, he he played an incredible uh, U.S. Open this year to win this title. And and Woodland's first major title in the fourth career PGA win puts uh, the Kansas native in some elite company as he is just the 12th golfer in the world to win a major over the past four seasons. And uh, Gary Woodland, well... It's also the heart and the soul and who he is. 
Uh, notably, he was wearing these Puma golf shoes, which I want to get a pair of, sported the Stars and Stripes uh, during its memorial run at Pebble Beach. He also wore uh, Volition American gear, which partnered with Folds of Honor, which we know real well, started by Major Dan Rooney, an awesome human being. And uh, it's an honor to have him uh, on the program today. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I really loved the shoes. I don't know. I mean, I watched it, and then I know the story about you and Folds of Honor, and Dan Rooney was a wonderful human being, and and I've worked with a lot of military charities over the years and building homes for heroes and the Freedom Alliance and a bunch of others, and um, you don't see many athletes take on, take on an issue like this so passionately and so openly. Why is this so important to you? You know, I, I met Major Dan when I was in college. We we both went to the University of Kansas. Um, yeah, he's quite a bit older than I am, but I was fortunate enough to meet him when I was going. I would to say school. he's better looking too, but I, you know, I'm just a. What do I know? <laughs> he he would say that too. He would say that too. <laughs> yeah, but he got me to buy in. Um, he, you know, I've my grandpa was in the military. My wife's grandpa was in the military, so I've I've been around the military growing up. But Dan got me to, to buy in what these families go through and, and what they sacrifice, um, not only the men and women that are serving, but their families at home. And it made me really believe how special and how fortunate I am to live in America and the fact that I can go out and play a game and wear the red, white, and blue and wear the stripes to give back and support these families, it's, it's a no-brainer for me. Well, in 2007, Major Dan Rooney, he was an F-16 fighter pilot, in the Oklahoma Air National Guard, started the Folds of Honor Foundation, 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to providing educational scholarships to the families of our American heroes. And to date, the foundation has provided support to thousands of spouses and children of Americans fallen, um, very much like the a group I had aligned myself early with, which was the, the Freedom Alliance, and Ollie North headed up that, that organization. And I don't think as a country, I mean, we forget, you know, I I don't even like John Stewart, but John Stewart the other day went before Congress and he's talking about all of these first responders on 9-11 that got sick because they didn't have the proper protection and respirators. And they went in anyway for days and weeks and months after the, the towers came down and they're having horrible health problems and the government's debating whether or not we're going to take care of these people. And I, it's ridiculous to me. Um, I don't think we do enough. Look at the scandal that we went through in the Obama years over the VA, for example. They had two sets of books. You know, they had one set, okay, the guy comes in, has heart issues. They don't call him back for a year or two later. But if he's alive and some weren't alive, we're going to put it down that he was only called two days before so they could get their bonuses. That actually happened. I don't know if you're aware of that. I am not. I mean, it's crazy, right? It is. I mean, these men and women sacrifice so much for us. You know, freedom isn't free, like Dan always says, and no. that's so true. And it's our duty to give back to them. Tell You know, tell everybody as we get going, then I'm going to ask you a few golf questions, if you don't mind, um, because I suck at golf, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> if, no, no, why are you laughing at me? I mean, I try hard. My brother-in-law is a scratch golfer. He's trying to teach me. I someday I've I've shot my low is an eighty. Uh, once oh, I see, I hit seventy nine, but it was like just you know a string of luck those couple of days. But um, where can people get the gear that you're talking about? Because I think I want to get the shoes, and I know you have golf shirts and other apparel. 
Absolutely. Go to yeah, Puma.com, um, and, you know, they have a, a little link there to get to Volition. Um, you know, and that was a no-brainer for me to partner with, with Puma when they have the same beliefs as I do, and they bought into this Volition, and they bought into Folds of Honor. Um, it's a no-brainer for me to partner with them. And, you know, we, we got the shoes online um, as of Tuesday, the, the, the Stars and Stripes. They, they came out beautifully. They were good luck for me, um, and they've been a, a great addition um, to Puma. So tell me, you were, you know, what, a four-sport athlete, I think, in college I read at some point. You played a lot of sports. Basketball was one of them, I remember. When did you start dedicating your athletic career to golf and golf only? I, you know, growing up, I always I wanted to play professional baseball or professional basketball, and I it was kind of the process of elimination. Once you got older and you realized there were guys that were a lot better than you, I kind of got forced into golf. Um, and fortunately, I happened to be pretty decent at it, and I could make a future in it. But I played basketball one year in college. I realized quickly my first basketball game at the small school I went to, we played the University of Kansas. They were the number one team in the country, and I matched up against some guys that ended up being in the NBA for a long time. And I decided quickly in my first college game I needed to find something else to do. And, and fortunately, I, I had golf as, on the back burner and transitioned to golf, played four great years, transferring to the University of Kansas, and then I've been out on the PGA Tour now since 2009. So it's been a, it's been a, a long journey, but a great one. You know, you're, you've only been out there really a short time when you think about it, but, um, you know, it's how is it possible that your drive, average drive, I think you're 11th total, and you're only swinging at 70% and it goes over 310 yards every drive. My best drive is like 260, 270 if I really tag it. And I was a former hockey player. I kind of swing like a slap shot, so I know that's not helpful. But when I hit it, it goes pretty far. Yeah, you know, when I, I grew up playing golf, I didn't have a lesson until I was in high school. So when I was playing golf, I would go to the driving range and I went to see how far I could hit it. And that's, that's one thing. It's, it's hard to teach distance. And so fortunately, as a kid, I was learning how to hit it a long way. Just cause so you're like I a did. John Daly, uh, rip it and grip correct. it and as a kid, grip it and rip yeah. it. Yeah. And the 70% comes in because now I want to hit it straight. Now it's about trying to keep it in play so I can continue to hit the golf ball. So that I don't swing as hard as I can because I'm trying to hit it center of the face to hit, to keep it in play. Um, but I, I can still get it out there if I need to. Um, I still have a little bit more in the tank, but it's nice to play from the fairway. I know everybody has always been very interested in the skills and followed Tiger's career. I felt when he won that tournament, I don't know what it is. I think America loves redemption. And 10 years earlier, we all know what happened. And his, he went off course for a little while. And then he had a lot of injuries he was dealing with. And when he came back and won, how did the players feel about that? The players love Tiger. We're, we play for the persons that we play for. And we have the opportunities we have because of what he's done over the last 25 years. Um, He's been unbelievable. He's great to the locker room. And, you know, when he was struggling, you know, a lot of people don't know how, how good he was to the younger guys. And you could call him. He would help you out. You know, he didn't have to do that, especially when he was fighting. He didn't know if he was going to be able to come back. And now that he's come back here, he won. Um, the story's great. And like I said, he's great for us. He's great for the game. Um, and we definitely need him in there. 
Let me ask you, you know, because you have to work on so many aspects of golf, and I'm fascinated by it because I've tried, you know, I don't have the time to play and, and really get good at it, but I do enjoy going out and playing, and I find it the most challenging sport that I've ever tried. Uh, do you find that's the case for most people? I do, and I got athletes in other sports that come and play, and they get so frustrated. The, go- the ball's not moving, and, you know, these other sports, they're playing, balls are moving, people are I know. I, by and, the way, that should make it easier. Them. It's right there, you <laughs> idiot. Just hit it. <laughs> you know. It's so frustrating. It's more of a mental game than anything. It's so no. frustrating. The patience you need. It's, uh, but that's what makes it beautiful as well. It's something you can do forever. You know, and that's a, the good part. I actually think that Jack Nicholas made a good comment. He once said, "You stop trying to play from the tips." And stop playing from the pro tees. If you're not a long hitter, you know, play from the blue tees. Play from the white tees. It doesn't make any difference. The idea is to go out and have fun. And if you're going to score a 79 from the blue or white tees rather than the gold tips, go go play there. And I guess our egos are such that, you know, maybe we don't want to do that or admit we're getting older. But the other part of it is, you know, it's so counterintuitive because I, I read, you know, you swing 70%. When I swing easier i do better my natural inclination is to hit a slap shot when you hit a slap shot you swing with everything you got 100 percent. the ego is the big deal i mean are you calling me an ego maniac thanks a lot gary we (laughs) were really good friends up to now (laughs) thanks a lot gary i (laughs) I wish you luck in the next tournament i really do Um, i appreciate it (laughs) tell me about your background and and your life that that I don't know. I'm just kind of inspired by your life story. And I'm really, it makes me very happy when someone in your position takes the time to understand and respect and honor. You know, we forget on Memorial Day, on the 4th of July, and, and Veterans Day, et cetera, et cetera. And my dad fought four years in the Pacific. But, you know, all of those people that fought, bled, and died so we can play golf or we can barbecue and we have family fun and we don't have to worry about. Uh, some foreign country, you know, tearing this country apart. We have the greatest military in the history of mankind. And I don't think we give them enough credit, nor do I think we're taking the best care of them, although I think President Trump has made tremendous strides fixing that. And um, it it really is true that, you know, but for them, we wouldn't le- live these wonderful lives we live. It's, it's so true. And everything you said was spot on. And, you know, Major... Major Dan's helped me believe that so much. And I've been able to spend time with men and women in the military and, and men, families that have lost their loved ones that have gone over and sacrificed, and they have no care. And they, it's it's sad. It's hard to see. And that's what Folds of Honor is so special. They're giving these families of these men and women that, they're, that have been wounded or deceased over in Iraq and Afghanistan. They're giving their kids a chance, and they're supporting them. And, that, you know, a lot of that is – is our duty as Americans to give back to these kids. You know, the, the government has their own things and the things that they need to take care of. Our duty as Americans is to take care of those that take care of us. And these yeah. men and women go sacrifice so much for us that it's time for us to step back and give back for them. I was glad to see you. I saw the interview with my buddy. Jim Gray is so amazing. By the way, so is Jim Nance. They are two of the finest broadcasters uh, sports broadcasters in history, both of them, and they're both good friends of mine. Um, now, as I understand it, you have a little boy, but you got twin girls coming when? Sometime this summer? I do. I have a, a little boy that turns two on Sunday, and then I have identical twin girls coming um, wow. in about five or six weeks. So it's uh, life's about to get really real quickly. 
Uh, anyway, congratulations. It was really fun to watch you win this tournament, and I'm sure there's going to be many more in the future. And if we can ever help with Folds of Honor, you please let us know, and uh, all my best to your family. All the best. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that's going to wrap things up for a busy day. We are loaded up tonight. We are watching closely and what happens in Iran. We will get to all of that. That is important. Uh, we'll have full, complete coverage uh, of all of this. The Deep State, we have more brand new struck page text. Yep, thanks to Judicial Watch. Biden is losing it and losing it badly. His history on race is really atrocious. We'll see you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.